Hi, I'm Ron Bullis, the founder and president of LifeWorks Advisors, and this is The Future of Advice. Everybody knows that there's challenges in the wealth management industry, that technology is rapidly evolving, that global pandemics like the coronavirus can completely shift our business models in the blink of an eye. We also know that the pace and the rate of change that we experience is exponentially increasing. So instead of looking in the rear view mirror and trying to ask the question of how did we get where we're at or what did we do to be successful, in this series I sit down with some of the foremost leaders in the wealth management space, the technology realm, and future thinkers about what needs to happen in order for advisors and firms to deliver the future of advice to their clients. Hello friends, clients, and fellow financial advisors. My name is Ron Bullis, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of LifeWorks Advisors, and welcome to another episode of The Future of Advice. My guest on today's show is the CEO and co-founder of FICOM Partners, an award-winning agency that specializes in working with RAA firms and advisors around the country. She was recently named to the Investment News 40 Under 40 list, and her expertise spans over 15 years in our industry, helping firms and advisors connect, engage, and communicate effectively with their best clients. Her passion to promote the industry is demonstrated through her involvement with the CFP Board Center for Financial Planning Workforce Development Advisory Group. She is also part of the Pledge 1% Global Movement, having pledged 1% of her personal equity, profits, time, and products to nonprofits in the wealth management community. My guest began her career at John Hancock Financial Network before launching her own business, Caritative Wealth Consulting, and then merging that company into her second business venture, FICOM Partners, in 2014. Her current firm, FICOM, exists to expand the impact of financial advice by leading human-centered business change through new school marketing, PR, and advisor marketing education. Recognized as a top four industry disruptor in 2020 by wealthmanagement.com, FICOM services allow advisors to lead with authenticity, target their focus, and drive to success. She's a regular blogger and spokesperson in the media on topics related to financial services, marketing, communications, and is also a sought-after speaker at a wide range of industry events, including the Schwab Impact event, Pershing's Insight, Bob Virus's Insider Forum, Echelon Partners Deals and Dealmakers Summit, Riskalyze Fearless Investing Summit, Investment News Best Practices Workshop, and the Top Advisory Firm Summit. Her firm also produces an engaging podcast called The New School, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and on her website, ficompartners.com forward slash The New School Podcast. Welcome to the future of advice, Megan Carpenter. Hi, how are hey, you? Thanks for being here. I'm doing excellent. We, uh, we have sunshine and blue skies finally here in Michigan. Our four foot of snow is starting to melt and uh, you know it feels like spring's coming so it's a great day good well i'm on the west coast i'm in los angeles so i have beautiful weather all year round <laughs> oh. and it's, nice. it's nice when you finally have the chance to come a little bit out of winter and enjoy well i've got a ton of questions i'm really excited for our conversation today it's not that often that uh, i get to have a conversation with somebody whose background and specialty is in communication and marketing for financial advisors um, this is an area of mine that I have a little bit of a passion project in. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in and I want to start by reading the headline off of your website. Um, not, to, not to make it cliche or anything, but 
it caught my attention when I started researching you know, you and your firm and prepping for this interview, and I want you to kind of expound on it for me. The headline reads as follows. This is not the information age. This is the communication age. Grow with the times. That statement to me is extremely bold. Um, it's also maybe one that needs some clarification. So expound on that for us and why you thought that was the most important thing to start your website with. Yeah, well, we really just believe that the best way to connect with people today is to create this like really human, authentic, vulnerable connection with them by the way that you're communicating. And I think that we've been so focused specifically in this industry, but also outside of this industry on just the amazing tech revolution that we've we've all been living in and, and watching firsthand. And I think that what has what is very easy to get sort of lost in just the rapid pace of innovation that we're feeling from the tech sector is that there's still this sort of question around and how do I connect with people in a way that helps me to grow my business or to make more meaningful relationships with people, to develop better relationships with my clients, to connect with people that wouldn't have otherwise known me. And so at FICOM, we just really believe that there is this great opportunity for financial advisors to use communication as a connector and as a connector that actually helps them to build their business. And so that's very core to who we are as a marketing and PR firm is we help our clients to communicate more effectively so that they can reach more people, serve more clients and do so in a much more um, effective and scalable way. Yeah, and it might just be me, but one of the things that I think resonated with me about that statement was all too often, and, and, and our website was probably guilty of this for a little while too, there's this idea that you just need to have information on your website, consumers will find it, they will hire you because of the content on your website. And it would seem to me that that is what you're talking about here about this isn't the information age, we're not just putting a, a Wikipedia of all the wonderful things we do out there. Tell us uh, in your you know, expert opinion, what the difference is between just having an outwardly facing website versus actually having a communication strategy or plan. It's really important. And I think specific to our space. So talking about financial advisors, financial advisors typically view their website as a digital brochure, right? So mm -hmm. they put together a brochure. Advisors love to have something tangible to take to them. I mean, obviously, yeah, we're still living in a global pandemic. So we're not seeing as many people in person as we used to. And hopefully this will be a great outcome is that advisors will rely less on brochures, which I've always said are like the most expensive piece of trash that you're, you'll ever create. But <laughs> But typically when, when building a website, they'll financial advisors will take what's in a brochure, a printed brochure, and they'll just put it on the website. So we have to say everything that we do, we need to make sure it's all there. And the reality is that that's not how people consume information online. And so when someone lands on your website, it's really important that you're able to hook them in. And it's not so much about having like the most clever or eloquent headline. It's really about just being very clear in why you do what you do and who you do it for. And whatever that headline is on the, on the homepage of your website, it just needs to be really clear. So when you want, when that right person lands on your website, they're like, oh, Ron gets me. Okay, I'm going to mm -hmm. click through and then I'm going to learn more. And then you want to deliver them with information that's basically helping them through their decision making journey. So you sort of want to answer questions before they ask. You want to make resources available, but you don't need to give like a laundry list of every single thing that you do, 
you know, you don't need to talk necessarily about number of years in the business, assets under management. You don't have to put your designations, you know, front and center. There's a lot of that that they can learn if they go to read your bio and they continue to engage in the website. But websites today are really just another communication tool. It's another way for people to come to learn about you and to self-select in to engage in your process. And when you sort of flip it a little bit and think, okay, I'm actually just trying to get them to engage then you be, it becomes very clear that you have to build your website in a different way. Um, whereas what we do today is we typically just put it all out there and it's sort of like a yes or no. Um, and, and honestly, people's decisions for choosing a financial advisor are never that black and white. And so you have to help hmm. them along the journey. Interesting. I think one of the things that I see advisors doing a lot, and I used to be guilty of this, you mentioned that you know when the right person gets to your website and they're like, this, they get me, that's me. It feels like, and I could be wrong, but it feels like advisors and firms tend to want to paint a really broad brushstroke, right? Like we work with doctors and lawyers and attorneys and athletes and business owners and high income earning executives. And then they try and make a website that's everything to everybody and it attracts nobody. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I say this a lot. If anyone's ever heard me at an event or, um, you know, listen to me talk, it's very common for you to land on an advisor's website and they'll say something along the lines of, you know, we provide comprehensive, holistic, fiduciary, financial planning and investment management for individuals, families and businesses. And to your point, Ron, if you're saying that you do all things for all people from a marketing perspective, that's effectively you saying that you do nothing for no one because nobody can identify with that. And I think that that's just a really common hesitation that financial advisors have, which is I don't want to go so narrow that I alienate my client base or that I remove myself from the selection process of, you know, someone I might want to work with that doesn't fit in my ideal target market. But what advisors need to remember about marketing, the purpose of marketing is to get in front of people that would otherwise have not known you. So it's about attracting attention and building relationships with people that wouldn't have met you through your family, through your friends, through your community, through your existing client base. And so your marketing efforts have to be super targeted. I mean, that's just like, we believe that the new school mindset for marketing is got to be authentic and you have to be super targeted. And so I think that that is an important just sort of switch in mindset is if you're saying you do all things for all people, you're going to have a really tough time in marketing because people are going to come and find you and they're not going to be able to identify with why you're so great. And because of that, they're just going to bounce off. And I also would say that you should think about how often your clients actually interact with your website once they become a client. That's typically where they're then going to move into a client portal and receiving ongoing yeah. communications yep. from you. They're not going to go to your website necessarily. Like once they've selected you, they've done the research, they've validated you, they've made the selection. Maybe they'll go to your website if they forgot your address, but you know, other than that, websites are really for yeah. people that don't know you. And so you want to position mm -hmm. the material that way. Yeah. And I think that, uh, one of the things that strikes me as, as an untapped power yet for advisors, and it's going to sound silly to say this, but is the power of social media and specialization, right? Uh, when our firm started three years ago and we said, okay, we're going to build our business by having a, a digital marketing engine. Um, you know, just when I was running tests, I said, here's this persona that's our perfect client. And we, you know, we had these, these items. And I'm like, I wonder how many people, you know, the social media websites will tell me fit this. And I'm thinking like 5,000, 10,000. It was like 3.7 million, right? And I remember talking to our business development director and a few other members on the team going, 
I, we can get even more specialized. Like we can filter this down even more and, and maybe even more. And I feel like that's something that, you know, maybe the advisor sitting inside of a large national firm that's got a very tight lid on what they can say has a harder time doing. But for RIAs that are, that are maybe a little bit more free to create targets, I think this is still, you know, I mean, Facebook and social media has been around for a long time, but this still feels to me, and, and I'd love your opinion on this, like this is still a target-rich environment and opportunity here. It's not like everybody has already done it successfully and now there's no more unique niches to be tapping into. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the greatest benefits of being part of the independent wealth management community is freedom of speech, you know, and you can say what you want to say proudly because you have the ability to do so and you're not constrained by the mothership. Um, I think that to your point on social media and the opportunity that exists, you're absolutely correct. There is no sense that it's all been done before. That we just we we don't see that to be true, and it will not be true in the future. And I think that in the industry, target marketing has sort of developed a little bit of a bad rap because when I got started in the industry back in um, I got started as an intern in 2002, and full time in 2004 is when I started as a marketing coordinator. And at that time, sort of the philosophy around target marketing was doctors, dentists, you know, like a very specific type of profession. And the truth is, is that's not the only way to target your market. And if you have a clear affinity and connection to one of those types of groups, fantastic. But what a target market looks like for financial advisors today is much more based on psychographics than it is demographics. So it's, you know, how does your, um, the, the target market that you serve the best you know, what keeps them up at night? What are some of their financial pain points? How do they make decisions? How do they do research? Who do they talk to when they're considering hiring a financial advisor? What do they want out of their life? Like what are their goals and objectives? And so then you can start to paint a target demographic that's actually like quite clear and very specific to you as a financial advisor. And you don't have to worry about someone else targeting that same psychographic because your unique ability as a financial advisor typically lies in one of two areas or sometimes both. One is in your ability to create and maintain really great client relationships. And second is in a technical competency. A lot of times financial advisors have both. But your ability to create and maintain a unique relationship is something that you own and only you own because you're the only you. And so if you can have confidence in knowing that like, I don't have to listen to the noise, I don't have to worry about anybody else out there because I'm the only me. And so I can serve these people better than anyone else. And so my marketing is going to be really focused there. That's where you're going to find the most success. Um, And it just doesn't have to be that old school, you know, I work with dentists and this is my (laughs) best service model for dentists. Yeah, I mean, I've thought sometimes to myself, I've joked like that somebody could just say, I, I work with only people that own yachts or I work with only people that are at my country club. And it might actually be more successful because it would shrink down the, the pool to a, a similar group. All right, I'm going to put a pin here a second because I want to I walk back a little bit um, and I'm going to come back to this conversation because I think it's super helpful. I don't think our industry talks enough about some of the language people in the marketing and, and communication space. So you started talking about psychographics and stuff like that. I'm going to come back and dig a little bit deeper there. But uh, take me back to pre-FICOM, right? So you were at a large national firm, right? Then you started your own uh, uh, curative wealth strategies. What was the catalyst or what was that inflection point uh, where you one day had the light bulb went off, the entrepreneurial seizure, whatever it was, and you're like, I'm going to go start a firm for advisors. What did, what, tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, a few things. Um, one is I grew up in the insurance broker dealer world and I met fantastic people. It was an incredible opportunity for my career. I learned so much and was just given a lot of autonomy and freedom to develop sort of my marketing philosophy. And I'm grateful for that time. And I wanted to get out of the insurance broker dealer world. You know, it was too many end of year selling variable annuities to get to the conference because I really want to go to Puerto Rico. But like, I just, it became a little bit difficult for me to be a part of that. And so one of it, one of those decision-making, um, you know, processes for me was I, I really wanted to be part of the RIA space. So the insurance broker dealer that I worked for allowed hybrid RIAs and I happened to work for the first two RIAs on their hybrid platform. And it became crystal clear to me. I really, really aligned with that philosophy. And so that was one thing. It just, I didn't see a path for myself to becoming a general agent. Um, and then the second thing was I went through a pretty significant illness when I was 28, 29 years old. That really just caused me to like reflect on what am I doing and where am I spending my time? And, you know, it's, um, it was one of the most positive experiences of my life as well as one of the most challenging experiences of my life. But what it really forced me to do was it gave me this great opportunity to sort of step outside of myself and say, are you completely fulfilled? And yeah. the answer was no. And so um, I was 29 years old and I decided to start my own you know, company. And I, I felt like there was this huge gap that existed in the RIA world for bringing really, you know, thoughtful, strategic, intentional, and experienced marketing um, consultation to financial advisors that were looking for help growing their business. So I started my own company. And then a year later, um, I met my former business partner who had started Ficom Partners in the same year. We merged our businesses. And then about two years ago, I bought him out of the business um, and continue to lead and run Ficom today. Yeah, and tell us a little about your team because uh, checking out your website and, and looking at their backgrounds, there's definitely some interesting skill sets and diversity there. Just real quick, tell tell our listeners and those watching about your team. Yeah, so the commonality that you'll find um, across FICOM is that our commitment to the independent wealth management space runs really deep. Um, so on the financial, or excuse me, on the leadership team, you've got people who've worked at Fidelity, Pershing Advisor Solutions, TD Ameritrade, United Capital, which is now Goldman Sachs. We've just We've grown up in this space. We're super passionate about working with financial advisors in this space. And so you'll find that commonality as an agency. We do marketing and PR work. We also offer advisor education and we're very squarely focused in this space. We've been committed to the independent wealth management community since we launched the business and continue that commitment today. We don't go beyond it and we're really proud of that. And then I would also say that we've just got really amazing diverse professionals that bring technical skills that are complementary um, to one another. So whether it's, you know, we've got sort of like a digital marketing ninja, we've got someone who's really great on sort of the business consulting and strategy, we've got crisis communications, public relations, and everything in between. But, you know, our ability to help our clients to craft a strategy that's unique to their business, and then also execute against that strategy, and or teach them how to execute against that strategy um, is core to who we are as a business. And you'll find that across the disciplines um, that the professionals at FICOM bring to the work we do. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I checked out uh, your podcast, The New School. Uh, for those of my viewers, I'll, I'll give the references to it in our, in our footnotes at the end and mention it again. And I, you know, some of the conversations were fantastic. So great job on, on launching that. 
Okay, I promised that we'd, we'd kind of come back to a word you said, psychographics. Um, again, it's not something that, you know, I hear talked about at industry conferences, right? I go, go to an industry conference oftentimes and, you know, there's lots of things about taxes or client experience or, you know, technology. Um, it seems to me, and I, I could be wrong here, that one of the biggest challenges facing our industry is that this this kind of sea of, of sameness or the, the this, this homogeneity of, of like, every firm, and you kind of mentioned a few words, right? Like, well, we do holistic planning, you know, we, we care for you, we're fiduciaries, we're independent. And I think to myself, like, that's like saying the window opens, right? Like, everybody, like, I go to a window and I expect it to, like, open, right? Um, talk to us a little bit about how, from your perspective, when you're being engaged by firms and when you're looking around the industry and speaking at conferences and doing research, What's your perspective on this? Do you see this as being one of the challenges um, that our industry faces right now? Absolutely. I think it's one of the greatest challenges as well as opportunities. And I know that we'll get to, you know, looking ahead a little bit further in this conversation and what some of the trends are potentially. But I do think that we are in a moment in time where there is such a great opportunity for advisors to really stand above the noise, stand out from the crowd, and just be really proud and excited to be confidently themselves and not worry about having to feel like, sound like, look like everybody else. And, you know, that's one of the things, I'm very proud of the New School podcast because I feel like the conversations that we're having are really important to be having at this moment in time. But we've had these incredible guests that are just doing things so differently and so uniquely and so like them and they're so grounded in that and they're so confident in that and I feel like these are the conversations that we need to bring out because I can sit here all day and I can tell you you know you got to be real and you got to be human and you got to be authentic and the truth is is like it's hard you know I have two small kids at home I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And there's a book that I read um, to my daughter who's one. And it's a book about, I think it's called, um, like, oh, the, I'll th it's by Nancy Tillman. I'll have to think of the title, but it talks about how you have to learn about all of your bells and whistles and that it's not always easy to know exactly what your bells and whistles are and that it can be really easy by, to be distracted by someone else's bells and whistles. But it's all just about like learning about yourself and it's a never ending process. And I think that that's something that as marketers, we often like forsake the industry because we sit up here and we talk about authenticity and vulnerability, but we don't demonstrate what that actually looks like and what that feels like. And we don't actually give people the space to step into, to be really empowered to be themselves. And so I think to your point about how, you know, the sea of sameness, yes, it's an issue, but then how do you as a financial advisor not be plagued by that issue? You really need support. You need a community around you that holds you up. You need people who are going to push you a little bit and challenge you a little bit. And I think that that's where we as marketers really have a responsibility to the industry to not just say, here's what you need to do, but to actually demonstrate how to do that and to give resources by which to do that. But that's the number one opportunity for advisors today is to just not worry about sounding up, sounding like everyone else, feeling like you have to show up like everyone else. Like that's the greatest 
greatest opportunity you have in front of you as a financial advisor is to just be really clear on why you do what you do. What's your passion? Who do you want to do it for? And worry about nothing mm-hmm. other than that. You know, let's say that uh, for the, the young next gen, you know, growth oriented advisor, um, I think about this in terms of like building communities, right? As opposed to even building clients. Um, where do you start? Do you start by kind of doing a reflective kind of process of saying like, what do I want and what do I like? Do, you, do Should they kind of make it about their own kind of self-awareness and self-fulfillment first? Or do you start maybe in what might come out of a marketing textbook or something about like finding a problem in the industry and then trying to build a product to solve the problem and then marketing that? Is, is there a right or a wrong or is there, a, you know, where would you tell us to start? Well, I don't believe in absolutes. I mean, I just don't believe that there's ever a right or wrong. There's always just a what's right for you. And I think that that's another area that marketing professionals often just do our industry a disservice is in saying it's got to be this way or this way. You have to be on social media. You have to be doing video. You have to be doing events. Like, no, you don't. You have to be doing what's right for your business period. And what's right for your business is not necessarily going to be right for every single business. And so I think that, um, you know, from a perspective of how we start, I mean, this is just, it's our process. It's what we believe in and it's what works for our clients, not necessarily what works for everybody, but our process really starts on that question of why, why do you do what you do? And it sounds like a really simple question, but it's actually very difficult to answer. So I'll give you an example. If we were, if we're meeting with a financial advisor for the first time, we're taking them through this process and we'll ask them, why do you do what you want to do? Nine out of 10 times, it's, I want to help people have greater financial clarity. I want to help people have greater financial confidence. I want to help people to retire happy. Great. That's great. That means that you care about your clients, but why, why do you want to do that? And we usually have to go through, you know, a 15 to sometimes hour long conversation. It can be a little bit uncomfortable because we're pushing and we're digging and we're asking the same question again and again and again. That's not deep enough. Take me one more layer. That's not deep enough. Take me one more layer. Got it. Right. So, you know, and and, and as an example, you know, we have a a profile of an advisor that we use in our advisor education where we teach virtual marketing workshops. And so her name is Sarah and we sort of use her as a demonstration tool. Well, so come to find out Sarah's why is very, very related to the fact that her mother was divorced at a young age and found herself Mm -hmm. not working and completely unaware of how to handle her own personal finances. And so Sarah saw her dad in a certain light of having, from her perspective, sort of everything figured out and from her mom's perspective, sort of lost and wandering and afraid and lonely. And so that shaped sort of subconsciously Sarah's approach to managing her own finances. And then when it came time to select a career and choosing to become a financial advisor, that sort of underlying story that she had, that she brought to work every day was driving everything that she was doing. So now that we know Sarah's why, I mean, her why was, I don't want women to go through what my mom went through. So I want to take them from that. I'm a scared, I'm lonely. I'm feeling like I don't have even the right questions to ask. Nonetheless, the right answer. She wants to take her, her clients from that feeling to a feeling of, I am confident in my ability to make my own financial decisions. And so it's in that, you know, change from this to this, that she's really able to deliver 
value that's like so far beyond a financial plan or, you know, an investment allocation, it really cuts into helping people to women specifically in Sarah's case to like fundamentally change their lives for the better. But it wasn't until we had that specific story because she could even told us, you know, I really want to work with divorcees, but that still doesn't help us. Yeah. Why? Why divorcees? Yeah. 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 Right. And so everybody mm -hmm. has a story, like everybody mm -hmm. has an underlying story of, of why they do what they do. I do what I do. So I am the owner and CEO of a financial services communications firm, but I do what I do to create fulfillment. So hmm. for me, it's about my own personal fulfillment, but it's about creating fulfillment for our clients. And that fulfillment is generated in and that sort of giving them that sense of purpose and relating that back to their marketing in a way that drives actual business growth. And maybe what I'm even more proud of is that I can create fulfillment for my team by creating a work environment. We have mostly women that work with us, a lot of working moms. I can create fulfillment for them by giving them a work environment that's very supportive, that's incredibly mm -hmm. flexible, and that they're surrounded by people who are similar to them. So that when they have to, like at the, you know, randomly at 10 o'clock in the morning, they have a full day of schedule and then they get that call from the nurse at school and they have to be gone. They have no guilt. They are fully supported mm -hmm. at Bicom because we've all been there. We've all done it. Got it. So I do this to create fulfillment, but it's nothing hmm. to do with financial services communication, but that's my why. And so everything hmm. that I build at FICOM is to support that why. And it's a, it's a trickle down effect. And so you do have to get really specific. You sort of have to look inward before you can look outward. Um, and again, that's our philosophy. No, I think that uh, one, it resonates with me. I mean, I, I had a couple of life events that happened to to me right before we started LifeWorks, and, and I won't share them here, but they really were eye awakening. You know, they, they woke me up, they opened my eyes, so to speak. And I remember one of the things that I thought was, if this is what I'm gonna do for my last day of life, it's like, this is what I really want to spend today doing. You know, I know Steve Jobs has a famous you know commencement speech from Stanford. I think it was like 2007, where he he talked about how every day he used to get up and you know answer one simple question, which is, if today is the last day of my life, is what I'm about to do, how I want to spend it? And if the answer was no for long enough, he would change. Do you, would you recommend to those of us that are running firms and or advisors inside of either, you know, independent firms or, or national firms to craft that personal story and then lead with that? Again, I mean, I think that that's, it's definitely our personal philosophy and we've seen the power that can be, you know, felt through leading with that personal story, that personal why it's just the greatest way to make a connection. But I'll also tell you, Ron, that there are going to be some advisors that that doesn't align with their beliefs or philosophy at all. And sure. they're probably they might be listening to me right now and thinking like, she is very woo woo. And like, I do not identify with that at all. And like, that's yeah. okay too. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. there's a process yeah. for everybody. Yeah. They heard you say there's no absolutes and their, their math brain was going, yes, there is. There absolutely is. Like I can calculate a rate of return. It's absolute. Like my taxes are, the, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But in marketing, there are no absolutes. And so, you know, I would say that my, my belief is that, yes, that's the best way. It's the most fulfilling way. I've seen the success and the success is not, um, you know, it's found in a lot of different ways. So like you could have success in, in saying, well, I, I really want to run a business that looks like this. And, and it's very um, like, maybe my lifestyle needs to change. 
and I'm working too many hours or the stress is getting to me or I don't have any relationship with my children because I'm working so hard. And so I need to shift my business from this to this. Marketing can help with that. You know, marketing can help you to be really focused and really efficient and really fulfilled. And so that's where I think, you know, our sort of new school mindset, which is all about vulnerability and authenticity and targeting your focus for success. Like I've seen it work, um, but it doesn't, it's not the only way to do it. Well, yeah, you, you just said something to her too, that I think is probably a prerequisite to all of this, which is the advisor or the owner of the firm has to have a really clear vision, right? You can't, you can't market to bring in clients or to grow your business if you don't know where you're going. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's just such an important um, sort of problem to solve or characteristic to understand, like, do I have this? Do I not? Do I need to create it? And I'll tell you, I mean, we've worked with hundreds of advisors and, um, and firms since we started the business. And the, it's very, very difficult for us to come in and to provide value when there is misalignment in vision or no vision whatsoever. And so that's why we actually offer consulting as one of our services, because when we identify that as a gap, we'll be bold enough to say, actually, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Client, we actually can't go to the strategy and the execution yet because there is no marketing strategy without a business vision. Mm-hmm. And so I do a lot of um, a lot of the consulting work because I'm a business owner myself, and so I can help to sort of shape that, ask the right questions. But that absolutely is sort of a fundamental need: is to know your core values, your vision, where the business is going. Um, marketing is not going to solve those business deficiencies, so it's important to tackle the fundamentals before you do anything, before you make decisions about technology, before you invest in marketing, before you think about building out a client service model or hiring additional staff. Like you need to be very clear on why you're in business, where you're going, what the vision is. Um, You need to have like a North star so that all of those other decisions can support you moving as quickly, efficiently, and successfully as possible toward the North star. Yeah. I, I, I mean, one, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, um, in the absence of vision, it's hard to reorient, especially when you have a year like 2020. I mean, we're still, you know, dealing with the pandemic kind of hopefully on the back end of it here. But I mean, when life gets turned upside down, if you don't have a really clear picture of where you're going, um, it's, it's really hard to rally the troops, so to speak, and, and even yourself back to that. So the, uh, the most recent TD Ameritrade FA Insight study, and I know Schwab uh, does a, a big study every, every year as well. Um, I, re- I read through that multiple times, and one of the things that just absolutely jumped out at me, and, and I want to just read you a quote from it. Um, it. It really blew my mind when I read it. So, you know, several thousand firms, I can't remember exactly how many responded to the study. I know my firm was part of it too. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me was the lack of investment and spending by firms on, let's say, business development and growth. Here's what here is one of their quotes. Just 47% of firms indicated that they had a marketing plan in place. So like already less than half even said they had a marketing plan. A result almost identical to 2018, so even a couple years back. So nothing's changed in the last couple of years. But of these firms, only 23% reported that their marketing plan was effective in generating new business opportunities. Does that shock you as well? Or is this part of why you also started your business? Because you have a a wide open, you know, landscape ahead of you of people like me that need your help. 
It doesn't shock me only because of the number of years that I've been in the industry. And, you know, my experience has been that I often find myself sort of passionately standing in front of people and almost like begging them to care about marketing. And I will say that I've, even though those numbers, I, which thank you for sharing those with me in advance, haven't changed much since 2018, sort of, you know, anecdotally, I do see, and I am experiencing a lot of positive momentum for the good of marketing in this space. And mm -hmm. I think we're just going to continue to see that. Um, it doesn't shock me. And I, and I don't actually think that it's entirely the advisor's responsibility. I mean, I think as an industry, we've just done like a huge disservice in how we've helped advisors to grow their business. And we as an industry have, have really placed a lot of pretty hardcore bets on like a few specific things. You know, if you think back to some of the key themes that you've heard talked about amongst the industry, like there's been so much talk about M&A, you know, cause yep. M&A is yep. hot and everyone's doing mergers and acquisitions. You hear a lot of talk about the next gen advisor. You hear a lot of talk about the client experience and client service models. And then you've got, if you think about the, the number one place that people go to for this type of advice, and actually that'd be a good question. Like, what would you think if you're a financial advisor, that's a smaller advisor that's out there running their own practice and you have a question about where to go, like, what do I do with my business? Who would you go ask? Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's probably an easy question for me. That, that's simple. I would, I would pick up the phone and I would call Ray Scalafani with ClientWise, but I, I also have been in his coaching program for a long time. But you know, if I, if I strip that away, uh, that's a shameless plug. I get no money for it. But for every advisor listening, go check out ClientWise.com and see Ray's coaching program. Um, I think what would probably happen is, and, and I had this experience, be, experience before we started working with with um, Ray and his team, was we just asked around for you know connections to like a marketing person, and uh, you know we ended up wasting a lot of money on somebody who didn't know our industry, and made some shiny sell sheets and you know maybe a new website, and you know after tens of thousands of dollars of spend, you're kind of like, well, I should have just asked for some more referrals and gone to a couple more networking events and saved the money, right? I mean, I, I know I've done that. I'm guilty of, of bringing in marketing people and then writing them a check and going, yeah. And you're right. There's usually two places that advisors go. They'll go to their peers. So they'll ask around mm -hmm. within their community, but they're asking a group of people that over half of them don't have a marketing strategy and less than a quarter of them think it works. Or you'll go to your custodian or your broker dealer and they'll put you in touch with their practice management consultants who are fantastic at what they do and they're not marketers. Practice management consultants are not marketers and there's nothing wrong with that. Like they shouldn't yeah. have been put in the position where they have to help financial advisors with marketing if they're not marketers. Marketing, public relations, branding is a very specific discipline. And too many people try to wear the hat that says I'm a growth expert I'm a client experience expert. I'm a change consultant. So I'm also do marketing. And I just have found that that's where there's this like big gap in the industry is that your advisors are not getting the advice that they need. And that's why I say, I don't think it's really entirely the advisor's responsibility to not have a plan and their plan isn't working. I mean, why would you invest in money? Why would you invest any money in a plan that's not working? I think that just doesn't make any sense to me, but as an industry, that's just sort of how we've approached it. And so the good news is, is that there are a lot of, um, you know, newer specific focused 
experts in this space who are bringing really great insight to advisors and are we're trying to figure out how to do it at scale. I mean, that's why we launched advisor education. Um, our core retained services are, you know, best in the business. I would stand up against anyone else for our ability to help a firm craft specific messaging, turn that messaging into a business strategy that, you know, has marketing goals that support your business goals. And then we can execute on it in a way that's going to deliver results. Those services are specific to a type of advisor who are making an investment that feels really good and comfortable for them to reach their growth goals and objectives. And there's also a lot of advisors that are not going to make that investment. And so we launched advisor education to sort of scale our ability to take what we do on the retained side, but to deliver it to, you know, hundreds of, and thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of advisors in a way that's very, very approachable because we just feel like there's this huge need to give advisors access to real marketing and PR insights and coaching and education and peer support um, because the industry just doesn't do it. And I think that that's why you have those numbers that you have. And I think you also have numbers on budget. You know, it's just, yeah. it's yeah. backwards for an industry that's trying to grow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The the another number from that same study was that the the median marketing expenditure expenditure as a percentage of revenue has been steady at one point six percent of the P and L. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of laughable. <laughs> it shouldn't be, but you know, we're the only industry that talks about being growth focused all the time and building for the next generation and having four forward looking, you know, kind of strategies and any other industry that's only spending 1.6% of their P&L on, on marketing and growth. It's like, that's crazy. It is crazy. And, and if you read the fine print too, it's usually like marketing and business development. So yeah. I, think of, I think of sales, marketing, and the client experience as like three very related, but very, very separate um, disciplines and also areas of your budget. And so if no. you think that that 1.6, 1.7% is even maybe split between like client dinners and golf outings, like, charity events, like even yeah. less. And if you look outside the industry on average, the Gartner annual CMO study shows that it's actually 11% companies spend 11% of top line revenue hmm. specifically to marketing. So we are like woefully behind, but to yeah. the earlier statistic with, you know, less than half of the firms having a strategy and less than a quarter or around a quarter thinking that it doesn't work. It doesn't surprise you. Right. Because why would you invest in something that you don't think is going to work? Yeah. You know, so I get it. I, like I see it and I get it. Yeah. I think, part of the, the long result of having a business model where advisors essentially see their income going up even when they don't do any more work, right? I mean, we do still live in a world where 96% of all revenue, again, coming from this the same you know study from TD Ameritrade, 96% of firms' revenue comes from the AUM fee. And the beauty of that model is it's scalable, but you know when the market goes up 33%, like 2019, and you, you didn't do any more work necessarily, and you have a pay raise of, of that significance, I think it maybe breeds a little bit of, uh, I might as well poke the bear, I think it breeds a little bit of a lax uh, and lazy business owner mindset, right? Um, because then it just becomes more about, you know, mowing my own lawn in the backyard as opposed to like, how can I go find, you know, additional clients and bring them in? Um, and it seems like that's the M&A space maybe too, right? Is that uh, the larger firms, can look out there and say dollar for dollar, I can go buy a known entity, right? And and here's my you know six, seven, eight year payoff or whatever, money's cheap. Or I can go spend a you know 
X hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing, and you know the last time you know so and so did that, they lost. You know nothing happened, right? So they they just don't. Right. And I mean, I think the important takeaway is that it doesn't have to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like there's so hmm. much that you can do, even if you're looking at that 2% budget, which I would encourage people to look at closer to five, like at a minimum. But even yeah. if you're just looking at that 2% budget, you can make magic happen. You just have to be very strategic in how you're doing it. And you have to be super closely aligned to business goals and objectives. And I think that that's where there's also just a really big disconnect is an advisor will say, well, I need to do a rebrand. I need to, I need a new website and this, I haven't done this in 20 years and it's just old and it's stale and rebrands cost money. And so a yeah. lot of advisors yeah. feel like before they do anything, they have to do a rebrand and I often say, well, let's really like, let's really look at it. And can we just do a facelift instead of a rebrand? Because can we make sure that all of your, you know, digital properties are working together and everything's connected? And of course you need the message to be good. We started there when we were talking about Viacom's website, you know, there are, are some things that have to be done, but it doesn't have to be this huge investment. And so I always say like, you have to be super clear on your business goals. And so if your business goals are, um, if you've been able to narrow them down enough to where is every new dollar, net new asset dollar coming from, and what do I need to do to get that net new asset dollar in the door? Is it coming from existing clients, whether it's increased wallet share, is it coming from existing clients through referrals, or is it coming from prospects that don't know you? Any of those three things, just as an example, are going to have different marketing drivers. And so it's about understanding why am I spending this? What is my desired outcome? And making sure that the two are connected. And if you can't make that connection, I would argue that you shouldn't spend the money. I would argue that you just wait until you're able to make, make that clear connection. Um, and then if you do have budget and you're just at a point in the development of your business where you're like, no, I need to turbocharge my growth. I really want to be aggressive. So over the last couple of years, net of market, I've grown this percentage and I want to triple it and I'm willing to invest this amount, then just make sure that you're working with a team of professionals that can help you to make the most of that money because it's, it's difficult. And I will tell you as a marketer, you know, marketing is basically like one big giant experiment and you have <laughs> to keep testing and listening and learning and yeah. iterating. Yeah. And so, you know, working with a team of professionals and having access to those types of professionals that can help you make the most of that budget is also going to be really critical. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you mentioned this before, it doesn't have to be expensive. I know some, some colleagues, um, advisors in the space that, you know, they started doing, you know, really thoughtful messaging on LinkedIn, like direct outreach. And, you know, they're bringing in a client a week right now, just based off of efforts. Um, and, and it was really more about having the right message and then figuring out who's the right person that I actually need to go after. And they're, you know, tremendous success on a shoestring budget, right? In fact, they're, you know, some of them are doing so well, I've kind of jokingly said, like, maybe we should be doing more of that, <laughs> right? So I think the misnomer too, that you have to have this, like, this, this you know, 40 page marketing plan document. Let's maybe talk a little bit about this. Um, talk to me and, and those listening, like, what it, what does it mean to have a marketing plan, right? Because uh, maybe like a strategic plan document or a financial plan document, maybe for those of us that aren't in the marketing and communication space, branding space, when we hear that, we're thinking like a three-ring binder full of everything already figured out. What What's a definition of like an effective marketing plan or a workable marketing plan? 
you can have a one page work workable marketing plan. It does not have to be a binder full of information and ideas. Oftentimes those can just be wasted because you can't actually execute on it. So mm -hmm. fundamentally what you want to have, and this will go back to what I talked about earlier, but you want to have like as part of core to everything that you do, why do I do what I do and who do I do it for? Because that's your vision and that's your target market. But those can be two sentences. And then you want to have a very clear definition, bullet points of what are my business goals and objectives. So is it revenue growth? Is it asset growth? Is it inorganic growth? You know, but get really specific. So if it's asset growth, where is that asset growth coming from? If it's an increase in financial planning revenue, where is that revenue coming from? Existing client centers of influence, new prospects. So just getting really clear on those business goals and objectives, I would encourage you to have no more than three to five because at some point it just becomes impossible to prioritize. Too many. So yep. Prioritize your top three, maybe top five. And then the rest, so let's say that's the top third of one page, the rest of the document, the one page can just be about how am I gonna reach those business goals and objectives? What are the things that I'm gonna focus on that I know I can execute on in my business tomorrow? I don't have to spend a lot of time like getting set up and ready to go, but what can I start doing? Where you're going to start getting extended and like don't get me wrong we do very in-depth strategic communication plans for some of our clients and where it gets extended is in what we would call like an editorial calendar so that's in just mapping out what content are we creating and when and making sure there's a strategy behind it that there is a cohesiveness to the content that we're creating um, and that there's a purpose behind the type of content that we're creating and so that's where you can sort of have like a month by month breakdown of okay here's the content and by the way content could be anything content could be a workshop content could be a social media post content could be a downloadable asset content could be a press release content is like the huge bucket but that's where yep. the, you'll get past the one page and then okay now that i have my why my who my business goals how what marketing and pr you know tactics are going to support those business goals then on the following pages you'll say and here's what i'm doing in january here's what i'm doing in february here's what i'm doing in march and of course any plan needs to be able to pivot just like a good financial plan does Mm -hmm. Whenever we went through last year, the best financial advisors were those that were able to help their clients navigate that, not because they had all the answers, but because they were able to guide them through what we were all experiencing. Marketing is no different. Your, your plan needs to be able to pivot and shift, but you still sort of want to have an expectation of here's the content that I'm creating and then who's creating it. And that's where you become, your plan should also be a bit of a, an accountability mechanism and mm. your plan should also have intended outcomes so you know yeah. i'm going to invest in let's say you know um linkedin advertising i'm going to expect that i get this out of it and then you need to be tracking to that metric specifically whether it's pay-per-click advertising investing in seo um, launching a podcast doing a video series hosting virtual workshops like whatever it might be you need to have very specific intended outcomes but it doesn't have to be over complicated no and i think if i if i'm tracking your outline right right you have your why right why you're doing what you're doing you have who who you're doing it for you have what you're trying to achieve the business objective then you have a how and then you have you know kind of an accountability you know roadmap for when things have to happen um, I know I'm, we're oversimplifying, you know, work that um, is heavy lifting, but I think for those that are listening to this too, um, even starting with writing those bullet points down on a piece of paper and just starting to investigate and think about those, I would imagine is, is you know, really valuable. Have you guys seen, you know, kind of post-COVID, 
um, an uptick in firms that are trying to figure out how to do marketing better, specifically maybe in the digital space or, or you know, social media, things like that. Is that something that's really picked up now, kind of, you know, uh, necessity being the mother of all invention, you know? Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, the last year has been so hard and people have dealt with it in their own ways and experienced their own hardships and their own tragedies. And I mean, it's been a horrific experience. And so I don't mean to downplay any of that at all. I also believe that there have been some really positive silver linings and that's just my personality. Like I'm always thinking, how can I make something positive out of this? And I think that one of the greatest silver linings for our industry is that it forced us as an industry to be more digital. You know, you could no longer rely on those dinners or meetings across your client's kitchen table or the in-person quarterly reviews. Like advisors overnight had to become digital yep. virtual. And so, yes, to, your, to answer your question, yes, absolutely. We have seen an increase in advisors who have a much greater appetite and willingness to learn about how they sh can, should, could be showing up online and how to leverage some of these great, and to your point, like very inexpensive opportunities to connect with people. Um, and I think that we also like, we're finally meeting our consumers where they're at but we've been really behind, you know, our consumers have been on social media for a long time. Our, our consumers have been using search engines to get information for a long time. So we're yeah. finally now just meeting them where they're at. And that's ultimately a super net positive for our industry. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an important point, you know, from the, from the focus of being the industry, right. Talking about the positives that have come from COVID. One of the ones that we've seen is, uh, meeting clients where they're at and clients also adopting video communications, right? I mean, you know, we even have clients now where we've said, hey, our office is back open in a limited and safe way. And they're like, you know, it's just as effective to hop on a quick Zoom call, save the drive, save the time. And so even the thought of, you know, back to maybe where we started at the very beginning, kind of talking about, you know, our first experience with digital marketing, realizing there's like 3.7 million people that fit this persona. They don't have to be in your backyard. They don't have to go to your country club, right? Advisors now, and it's perfectly acceptable at all age demographics. I mean, our target persona is like, you know, early retirees, they are just as comfortable now hopping on Zoom calls and go-to meetings and, and Google Meets because they do it to see their grandkids and to, you know, other functions. And now we're engaging that way. And it's like, man, this is productive and we can, you know, build really great relationships thanks to these tools um, and be super effective. Right. And video is not just about video conferencing. I mean, we love video as a like the number one tool to connect with people very authentically throughout the, your entire prospect and client experience. So using video at every single touch point, having your staff use video, like having your staff create a video to send to a new client about how to fill out their new client onboarding paperwork. What are some, um, let me ask you real quick, I'm gonna pause here, sorry to interrupt you. What are, what are a couple of your favorite tools for doing those those kind of like quick personalized videos um, and sending them to clients. Yeah, so we have a DIY video workshop where we teach advisors how to show up really great and confidently on video. And the two tools that we most often recommend are one, it's called Soapbox by Wistia. Um, and the other is Loom. And what they Loom, do is they, okay. use your, um, they use your webcam to record your face as well as your screen at the same time. Very user-friendly. Then you can go in, you can edit edit. Do you want my face, the whole video? Do you want a split screen with me and whatever I'm sharing on the screen? You can zoom in, you can mm. zoom out, super easy to use. And there's free versions of both of those tools. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I know uh, we're running late on time and I want to um, I want to make sure we cover this because this is hence the name of the podcast, The Future of Advice. So you have a really interesting perspective 
uh, and where you get to sit consulting with firms and advisors all over the country, right? And looking at their business models, what's working, what's not working. Uh, let's talk about the future of our industry and, and shift gears. What do you think the wealth management industry is going to look like five years from now, 10 years from 20, 20 years from now, what, or somewhere in that kind of time range? What are some trends? What are some things that you see positive changes coming? What are maybe some threats to um, you know, the current business model? Yeah, well, I mean, I have a hope first, and my hope is that I hope it's more diverse. You know, I think mm. that this, to your point about homogeneity, I just think that this industry, we all look the same, and we that just can't be. Like, that is killing innovation, and there are so many opportunities to be really intentional uh, about how we as an industry show up and as a more diverse industry. And so my hope is that in very, you know, short periods of time, five years, 10 years, that we absolutely begin to reflect the makeup of this country. I would also say that I believe that we are going to see the rise of personal brands for financial advisors. And so this, mm -hmm. this sort of um, is to tie together everything that we've just been talking about. But I think that there is a really big opportunity for financial advisors to be able to stand above the rise above the noise stand out from the crowd by creating their own personal brands even if they're part of a national corporation or potentially like a regional RIA firm i think that firms that empower their individual advisors to show up as themselves to create content that resonates for their client and no one else's to show up in a way that they feel really good about are those that are going to be most successful from a marketing perspective. Um, my friend Danny Fava, who works at InvestNet, she published the four social megatrends that she sees coming and she calls it the age of the creator. And I couldn't agree more. I think that advisors in five years time will be creating more content and distributing that content digitally than what we're currently seeing today and doing so in ways that are really powerful. I think recently we've seen some sort of very um, interesting examples of this with what happened on Reddit, with GameStop, with what you see happening yeah. on TikTok, which um, the personal finance hashtag is one of their most um, popular hashtags, but it's not being delivered by financial advisors. It's being delivered mm -hmm. by influencers that actually have nothing, you know, they just don't have the background. And so yeah. there are people doing it. And so it's going to be about those financial advisors that figure it out. So I think it's sort of going to be the rise of um, advisors creating content, whether or not they own their own business or they're part of a huge field force. I think that that's something that we're really going to see. Um, I also think that specific to the independent RA community, we will start to see national brands become household names in the same mm. way that you see that right now with, you know, some of the larger wirehouses um, that you know have that really strong brand recognition. I think that we will start to see, based on what's happening today, the rise of national independent RA brands that have brand equity that is competing with the likes of, you know, the Merrill Lynch's and the Morgan Stanley's. Yeah, I think that I I think that's a really um I hope for that same thing. Actually, your your wish list is is in similar mind. I want to come. Uh, I want to make sure I catch the reference for our, our viewers and listeners. You referenced a friend of yours at Investnet that wrote about the four the four trends. Can you tell us what the title of that? Yeah, her name is Danny Fava. But if you just go to investnet.com and you select okay. resources, I think it's it's in their main navigation bar. You can you can go down to resources, and it's called the four social megatrends. 
Awesome. We'll we'll find it and post it in our notes. I think this. Um, I think the idea of the, this creating personal personal brands goes back to the com, you know the, the comment I made about having communities and tribes and individual advisors being very niche. One of my hopes is that the firms will you know kind of let go of their ego a little bit, right? And it, it's not about you know the moniker on the wall. Clients aren't choosing to work with the firm because because they're a a big you know a big firm or something like this. But I think the fear that maybe is is residing inside of the ego from some of the largest firms and and maybe even large regional RAs is that if individual advisors get too good at their own personal brand, especially now that it's pretty, I'm not going to say it's easy. That's a misnomer. There's still a lot of work in setting up your own RAA. But maybe relative to 10 years ago or 20 years ago, like building an RAA now today is is much easier than it used to be. And so I see this this kind of pervasive trend in the industry being that firms are trying to figure out how to like tie advisors down, so to speak, and, and make them reliant on their brand and make them reliant on their tools. And that's still kind of driving this idea of, well, you go to market as XYZ company. You don't go to market with your own personal brand and unique story and, and, and very differentiated message. And I think, I don't know if we want to call that ego. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm poking the industry a little hard here, but that seems to me to be like, well, we're, you know, pick a big firm, right? I used to get that at my last firm, right? It was like, well, why would you want to personally brand yourself? We're XYZ. Nobody knows who you are. And it's like, yeah, but I, I have got a story to tell and a community of people that are interested in it. Yeah. We help firms solve this challenge all the time. It is a little bit ego. It's a little bit fear. It's a little bit of ignorance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I think that the, the reason that an advisor chooses to affiliate with your firm like that's no different than that advisor trying to get a client to choose them. It's about like, what is it that you offer that advisor that no matter that all these other platforms can do it, there's something about your relationship that can't be replicated. And that's why they stay with you. And so the ability for a firm to overcome that fear is just to have confidence in what they deliver, why they deliver it, who they deliver it to. And I will tell you, because I do have the opportunity to work with a lot of younger advisors and everyone in the industry is trying to solve this talent gap with the next gen advisor. If you are going to handcuff your client, your younger advisors and tell them you can't be on social, you can't be doing podcasts, you can't be creating video, you can't be on TikTok, you will have an open front door and an open back door and turnover is going to be a huge problem for you. And so there are some really cool firms out there that are doing super interesting things to empower their advisors to, to not just like allow them to be great marketers, but to teach them how to be great marketers and to give them the access and the opportunity and the availability to do what they want to do. Those are going to be the firms that will succeed. It's the ones that are fear-based and are trying to just control everything and put their arms around everything and like lock people up with contracts and own their clients. Like those are dinosaurs. Those people, yeah. those firms aren't going to be around. Yeah. I, I, I call them zombies, right? They're, they're walking dead. Um, there's still a lot of inertia behind them. So they'll be there for a while, but yeah, it's, you know, they hide behind uh, compliance, right? Oh, you know, well, compliance, compliance, compliance. It's like, look, you know, you can do Instagram and Facebook and, and TikTok and text with your clients. There are software companies that have already solved, like archiving all of that and searching it in real time. And yeah, so that stuff's solved. So I've looked at it and said, is it really truly compliance and regulatory issues or is it something else? And I think it's probably more to the, the fear, the ego, the if our advisors get too good at running independent of us and the, their brand is worth more than our brand, then we can't control them. We can't, you know, and, and that's one of the things I see. 
Okay, I've got a two-part question to wrap up, and, and you've already given me a fair amount actually to chew on, so I think our same for our viewers too. Um, two-part question for you, okay? If you could give one piece of advice or share one message with ambitious, hungry, growth-oriented next-gen advisors, what would it be? Just one piece of advice would be to get really centered on why you're doing what you're doing and to have nothing but confidence in that. And don't mm. try, don't worry about looking like everyone else, sounding like everyone else, showing up like everyone else. Just stay really clear on your why. And if you can do that, you will be successful. That's awesome. All right, second part of the question. What advice would you give to the firms and the leaders of firms as they're trying to build, you know, winning teams and, and grow their, the value of their company? Believe in the power of marketing. I mean, I obviously, this is what I do for a living, but I've seen such incredible transformation that has come from leaders who believe that marketing is more than just a check the box, but it's mm. actually a part of your business that can drive transformational change, you know, when you approach it with the mindset that that's possible. And to just sort of reiterate what we were just talking about, you know, have that belief and allow the advisors that are part of your firm to have that belief too, because those, you have to be working in tandem. You can't be controlling, you can't be constricting. You have to be um, sort of allowing and empowering your advisors. You can have the same brand. I'm not saying that you have to let every single individual advisor brand differently, but just allow them to show up in ways that they feel really good about because that's where they're gonna find the most success. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, last question, and then I'll, I'll uh, let you, you close us out maybe with final thoughts. Uh, I always ask people this. I love reading. I hate being asked this question because it's always hard to pick. But if you had to pick today, uh, what, are, what are three uh, really good book recommendations for that advisor who wants to grow with the times? And there was another quote on your site that maybe when we have you back on for another um, video, I'd, I'd like to just spend time talking about a statement where you talked about helping advisors articulate their significance. So what are three, you know, maybe favorite books of yours or maybe long form podcast or something like that, that help them grow with the times and articulate their significance? Well, I mean, selfishly, I would encourage advisors to listen to the new school podcast. It's school with a K. It's our opportunity to demonstrate everything that I've just been spending this time talking mm -hmm. with you about, Ron. So I would, I would start there. I'm also a huge podcast fan. Um, so I love the how I built that podcast with Guy Raz. I think for entrepreneurial innovation stories to just like spur outside of the industry thinking about how entrepreneurs have solved like really simple or really complex problems. I just, I, it's my favorite podcast. I listen to it every time there's a new episode that comes out. Um, and then I think for a book, I mean, I, I just read this, it's actually on my nightstand, but um, Netflix and the culture of reinvention. Have you read that one yet? It's, um, mm -hmm. it's another outside the industry perspective, yeah. but I think that what Netflix is doing from a marketing perspective and the way that they've completely disintermediated sort of like cable television and the fact that last night was the golden globes that like every single actor or actress or director or producer was thanking netflix i was like yeah. oh my gosh like there's such a such an incredible company to follow and that book is just really prescriptive about 
how to create a culture of reinvention. And I think for our industry, it's really important because I think it's an industry that can be and should be reinvented. Yeah, I, I, I love that you close with that book recommendation because I think, you know, here we are 20 years later and we just accept that streaming is, you know, that's just what we do. And even all the main players now from Disney to Fox to these, they pulled all their content in house. They're building streaming just, you know, to kind of now redo what Netflix has done. And I, I think that's a really great suggestion. All right. Well, Megan, I am absolutely grateful for you carving time out of your hectic schedule, running a business, two young kids. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure our, our viewers and listeners um, do as well. Hopefully, we'll get to have you back on and, and spend more time talking about this. I know we've probably got a long way to go to make more converts yet into believing in the, the power of marketing and, and why it's important to have this. Um, if you want to learn more about Megan and her firm, FICOM Partners, you can go to FICOMPartners.com. You can also connect with her on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com forward slash in forward slash Megan FICOM. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Megan underscore FICOM. Megan, thank you for sharing some thoughts on the industry, talking about the future of advice. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and look forward to having you back on again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for giving me and the industry this space to think about the industry in new ways. Um, I really appreciate it. And for our friends, clients, and fellow financial advisors walking, watching this today, uh, my name again is Ron Bullis, and this has been another episode of The Future of Advice. To watch previous episodes and to stay in touch with us, you can go to thefutureofadvice.com. Again, thank you, Megan, for being here, and thank you guys for watching and listening. Take care.